This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autops. We are the forensic files on your radio dial. My name is Scott, and if we got a great show for you tonight, no, we don't. Damn it. The phone is ringing. It's the request line. All right, let's pick it up. WRNRA, east of the Rockies. Hey, Breather, good to hear from you. What's going on, man? Oh, you need help with your New Year's resolution? Okay, how can we help? What do you mean you want to listen to better podcasts in the new year and it would help if ours didn't suck so bad? Listen, you called the request line. Is there a song you'd like us to perform an autopsy on? Rollin' by Limp Biscuit? You got it. All right, buckle up, gang. The subject of our rock and roll autopsy tonight will be rolling by new metal rap rockers Limp Biscuit. We'll get the show started after these very important messages from our sponsors. Cause we gotta, 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 down, damn it. The weekend never ends on WMMS Cleveland. All right, gang, we're back. Hey, Rico. Yo. It's the end of the year, my friend. We should uh, introduce to all of our faithful listener out there, um, our first annual potty awards where we take a look back um this year and give our awards for the best and the worst and whatever else we might give our our potty awards for so this is kind of going to be a um like i said a year in review slash award show for you know kind of the the things throughout the last 12 months that you know we'd like to highlight and low light for that matter i think that's a terrific idea rico i like to start this puppy yeah so our first award for the night um our first potty goes to uh the, the potty for uh the worst episode about paul stanley's penis pistol and love of painting goes to envelope please that would be our very first episode, the Kiss Love Gun episode. Rico, would you believe that terrible piece of shit got another listen today? <laughs> what are we up to now on that? People like keep five? 
<laughs> people keep going back. Okay, people, this is a podcast. It's not the fucking Sopranos. It's it's not episodic television. Yes. If you want to come on board, it's perfectly fine to listen to the most recent episode. You don't have to start at episode one when we were when we were terrible. Yeah. Um. Just just to kind of semi pull the curtain back a tad. So as you can tell, um, it, so when we did that episode, that, that, that was our first episode in what, seven years, eight years, we did a podcast about maybe seven to 10 years ago, something like that. And maybe somewhere down the road, we pull out some old episodes and lay them on you just for fun. I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. There might be an episode in there about lunch meat. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> the point is neither we cut. I didn't. I mean, I can't speak for you. You did. You did well in the first episode, but I had no idea where we were going with this first episode. I knew we were going to talk about love gun. We were sharing a mic for God's sakes, because we didn't even have really any kind of a setup. So we were sharing a mic as you could hear. It was terrible. I can't believe people are still listening to this thing. Rico, they're still going back to it. And and as a, I, I can kind of like, as far as the timeline goes, I can kind of give you a general idea because my daughter was a baby when we were doing that podcast. So mm -hmm. we were early adopters of the podcast medium back then. And then we left it for 10 years as podcasting exploded. And then we yeah. came back when it was completely oversaturated and there was absolutely <laughs> no need for us to return. Exactly. So, we picked the best time to come back and do this again. <laughs> so obviously <laughs> being men of impeccable timing, we decided yeah. now it looks overcrowded and oversaturated. Let's come back and try podcasting again. And we did this episode one on love gun and I can't listen to it. It's uh, we sound so rusty, and yet this thing people keep going back to it. Please don't stop listening to stop. this one. Pick any other episode. Save yourself the the agony and pick any anything else but that one. That one's awful. It's actually just maybe not because we have more potties to give out for terrible episodes. <laughs> well, you might be right on that. Actually, you want right. to do the next one? I would love to. The potty for the worst episode with an unnecessarily convoluted attempt at philosophical analysis of fan boundaries goes to the envelope, please. Episode 24, did Pink Floyd's In the Flesh kill rock and roll? You know what? I take 100% of the blame on this one. Um... It was your, it, it was, it, it was your, so when we, sometimes when we decide what song we're going to slice open and analyze, um, sometimes Scott comes up with the song. Sometimes I come up with the song. Sometimes collectively we just decide on something. So in the flesh slash in the flesh was Scott's idea. And I'm like, all right. That's cool, man, because we're both big Pink Floyd fans, and this is a really good song to autopsy. It really fits into our into our thing, right? And so I mistakenly thought that I would see when you're talking Roger Waters and especially this album, 
you can't just dip your toe into philosophical analysis when it comes to this thing. Like you have to go like full on master's thesis. And I thought that I could just dip my toe into some light analysis here and work it into the 30 minute, you know, uh, scientific autopsy that we did. And I thought that I was ready for this and I thought that I could handle it. But boy, was I mistaken, Scott. I'm sorry, man. I take the full hit on this one. I don't think that you can. I mean, I appreciate you stepping up and trying to take the blame for it. But I just think that any time I listen, we just simply Rico, you have to know yourself, know thyself. And I don't know that you and I together collectively possess the necessary brain power to tackle the wall (laughs) much less to do it in 30 minutes. Now, granted, we're only supposed to be looking at, in this instance, it's two songs, okay, in the flesh yeah. one and two. Yeah. But you cannot, you almost can't talk about these and divorce them from the album. And I kind of knew that was always going to be a tricky kind of thing to do. And then we just stepped right into the bear trap. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember you even said, I'll, I don't remember your exact words, but you said, do we really want to do this? <laughs> and i'm like yeah man come on let's fucking dive into this shit man i can handle it we're good we in the we, wall we we possess a collective triple digit iq maybe it's we might be able to no man it was bad <laughs> but it's one of the most written about talked about broken down i mean there's been a That's million true. doobies smoked on like <laughs> frat house roofs debating you know side four of the wall and yeah, somehow That's you true. and I were going to bring some new perspective and new ideas. Yeah, to something fresh that hadn't been talked about a million other times. On a 40-year-old album. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. yeah that one was, fail. That, yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a bad one. But I would um, rather you listen to that one than Love Gun. If you had to, dear listener, pick out an, an older episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, if I had to choose between the two... I I would rather you listen to us like vomit all over ourselves trying to ro- analyze Roger Waters for sure. Um should I do the next one? Go for it. All right, cool. Let's uh let's see here. So the potty for the worst series of technical mishap episode casualties goes to the envelope, please. The unpublished Phantom episodes, the Senjutsu episode, Rock and Roll Heaven, Down Rodeo, um, what else did we butcher? Fat Bottom Girls. So, yeah. oh Lord. So, when we do, to just to kind of set this up, and then Scott, I'll throw it to you. So, just to kind of set this up again. In the guy. One one thing that we also want to do a little bit in our presentation of our first annual potty is just kind of pull back the curtain a tad. So one thing about our episodes is they're unscripted. It's organic. We have an idea of what we want to talk about, and we we listen to the song. We listen to the album, maybe if we want to. Maybe we read a wiki page. We do a little bit of research. 
And we kind of get a general framework on where we want to go with this. But more importantly, there's no script. And so when we record, we do it in one take and whatever happens, happens. And when we vibe, we're vibing. And when we're not, we're not. And sometimes you can tell and sometimes you can't. But in these particular instances, and we hit a little time period there, Scott, you want to you want to take over here for a minute? I mean, you're doing terrific, but it's yeah. I mean, we hit a patch where we were just having technical difficulties. And as novice podcasters of minimal needs, we had some technical problems. We were having driver issues on computers. We were recording up. We were doing episodes that to my ears were, to your point, vibing. And then we go to play them back and there was no audio. And this and this was no one's fault. It was just we were just battling the technical demons. And so we had, I mean, we probably had, and I think I kind of did a rough count here. You know, we did, we ultimately published a Sinjutsu and a Rock and Roll Ooh. Heaven episode, but there were two takes of those that never got to the air. That's right. And then Down Rodeo, we actually did twice and didn't publish either of them. Either neither, one. <laughs> neither one recorded. It wasn't that it was a bad discussion. We don't really edit ourselves that way, but neither one recorded. And then we had a really, what I thought, good discussion on Fat Bottom Girls that we lost the audio on. Yeah. We had like two, three, four, we had like five episode takes that just never went live. Yeah. And we did a, we did a whole rush episode that I was super excited about. Oh yeah. I forgot yeah, about that. Remember that? I was ridiculously excited about doing this rush episode and it, I, I made so many mistakes that I didn't even realize like throughout this that I couldn't I couldn't in good conscience publish a, an episode about a, my favorite band that I fucked up so many times during the course of the episode. And, and what's even what what's maybe as worse as doing an episode more than once trying to get the vibe back is doing another episode of the same song and pretend that you hadn't talked about it before. Oh, so you have to pretend that you have to tell the same kind of witty bullshit that you came up with the first time and try and remember it. And then the other guy has to pretend that he heard it for the first time. And <laughs> Oh my God, though that doing that over again it, and trying to recapture that organic, like non-scripted thing is just painful, man. Yeah. So, Oh, Plus you're heartbroken and all the air right. is out of the sails because you just lost an episode and it felt really good. And then the reality is you didn't capture any audio and you got to do it again. So not only do you have to kind of muster, try to like reach the same vibe, but you just have to muster up some enthusiasm after the crushing defeat of losing audio. Yes. You're completely dejected, bordering on depressed. And then you have to sound like happy and and excited about the song that you've already done once and lost. So, we will yeah, be man. doing fat bottom girls again, though. We will. And uh, maybe, maybe we do down Rodeo. Maybe we try that for a third time at some point down the road. <laughs> and, and maybe that rush episode <laughs> that I fucked up. Maybe we try that one. I don't know, but fat bottom girls is definitely going to get done. But, but you know what we did recently did killing in the name. So we'll, mm. we'll, push down rodeo yeah, yeah further down the line but that's right rico the rush <laughs> the rush episode all of these phantom episodes all better than the love gun episode <laughs> yeah do yourself a favor and listen to 
the rock and roll heaven one that we did a second time that's that stinks listen to that one before you listen to the kiss episode that is really bad we're so rusty like we sound like i'm i'm fumbling over word well i fumble over words all the time anyways but it was even worse in that episode so don't do don't do that <laughs> well i just remember too i mean i hate to keep circling back to the kiss episode but i just remember <laughs> that we had the idea for this podcast like probably what would you say rico like six or nine months prior to actually doing an episode and we mm -hmm. had all the ideas in place but we were like we can't start right out of the gate doing what we want to do because we have to like get warm you know right right it had been so long since we've done this and we we had to exact just to what you said we had to knock the rust off we had to get loose again and from the very beginning we always used love gun as an yes. example of what we wanted to do so the first episode was always going to be love guns for low. So for like six or nine months, we, we always knew that we were going to talk about love gun <laughs> and it still was as if we had never talked about it before. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yes. it was just incredibly bad. And I, it is funny because I just, you know, I, and I didn't even know if I really wanted to get into podcasting again. So like I was kind of half hearted about it, but yet still kind of excited and just layers of rust. And so I feel bad because I love that song and I love that I band and I feel bad that we kind of used it as a, you know, I know we're both training episode. Yeah. We're both, we're both in the kiss army. We're both giant kiss fans. <laughs> and it's just, it seems bad that we just pooped all over them. On yeah, that first episode the way we did. But you know what? With podcasting, the only way to get better at it is to do it. And so every podcast will tell you that the early episodes of their podcast are <laughs> shaky because you get That's better it. the more you do it. I just wish new people who found us wouldn't keep going back to episode one to get yeah. on board just pick any other episode for the love of god well that's because people have this thing in their brain is well i have to start in chronological order it's and ridiculous. work my way down the no don't do that you don't have to start at the end and work your way back and then maybe by the time you get to the first one you'll just lose motivation and just won't listen to it hopefully all right, we've bashed our episodes enough. Yeah. Let's talk about a few that we were happy with. Um, Let's. So the potty, the pod E for the best episode about fisting runaway teenagers and embarrassingly overly sentimental balladry goes to the envelope, please. Oh, boy. <laughs> Episode 25, did Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home kill rock and roll? So before we get into that epic line that you pulled out of your arse that is going to go down in RNRA like, like uh, history as being one of the classic one-liners ever, one of my favorite parts about this episode was the news item that i found about philip kramer the guy from iron butterfly the bassist who became a astrophysicist and then had this mysterious technology that he invented and then yep. mysteriously died i was so happy that i came across that news item because it's super fascinating um but setting that aside i really loved doing this episode and one reason why i loved it is because finally I watched the dirt 
and everybody kept telling me to watch it. And I kept resisting because as you listener might know, I have never been the biggest hair metal fan. And so for me watching the dirt was just, why would I do that? However, my musical tastes have expanded in the last 12 months and we were doing this song and I'm like, fuck yeah, sure. After being badgered by 17 different people to watch the movie, I watched it and I was super glad that I did. Yeah, it's one of the great pleasures of doing this podcast with you is forcing you to listen to things. Like That's Molly true. <laughs> That's true, man. I'm not going to lie. Dear listener, we had a fun uh, discussion about this song and this band and that movie and many other things. The news item Rico had pointed out. We got some feedback on Twitter about that specifically. People also were intrigued by that story. Um, so if you want to check out an episode that we thought was a good one, go to the Motley Crew episode. Well, and yes, and also um, your line about fisting 14-year-old runaway teenagers this was in just just to remind everybody, this was in response to that one line of the song where Nikki Six talks about like having like um like uh, what was the line about love and like silver screen, the silver screen line. Yeah. 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 And you're like, what kind of love is he? Like, what is his idea of a lost romance or love? Was it fisting <laughs> a 14 year old runaway teenager? <laughs> This you said this dude doing lines of blow off the stomach of a naked hooker was your last not was your next line after that. I mean, this was that's historical, man. I, I applaud you for, for coming up with that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the only time I topped it, I think, was when I disclosed some uh questionable decision making as a child in the tool episode, I think it was. Uh that's right. <laughs> Concerning a, a transformer train set. Right. Um, and some something that you may have extricated from the lower half of your body. Go listen to the tool episode, ladies exactly, and gentlemen. Exactly. Exactly. But one thing bef to, to wrap up this potty award, um, one thing that, that we talked about off mic, actually, I believe, that did not make it into the episode was my feelings about Tommy Lee. Uh, I think what, what I, what I told you was that I, I feel a little bit after watching the movie and I can imagine since Motley Crue is behind the movie that the, 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 the portrayal of the personalities of the people in the band was kind of semi-accurate. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, MGK killed, killed it as Tommy Lee did a great job. Right. But yeah. My, my opinions on Tommy Lee have kind of changed after watching that movie. After watching that movie, I just come away with the dude's just a harmless knucklehead. Like he he was he was never really malicious. He never really had any kind of nefarious intentions on anything. He was just a big old freaking nice knucklehead that knew how to play a piano. And I can't fault a knucklehead for being a knucklehead. So I don't <laughs> I, I, I don't mind Tommy Lee now after watching that because it, I, I, I he's just a just a just a he seemed seem like a nice guy yeah uh, if, it's, if, it's, if if uh if the movie was even remotely accurate anyways right it's a fun flick do we have exactly. any other potty awards to give out rico we do actually so the potty for the best episode about schnoz concealing devilocks killing babies and brick throwing temper tantrums goes to the envelope, please. 
that would be episode 22 did the misfits last caress kill rock and roll congratulations a timeless classic i mean that was one of the uh that was an episode i enjoyed doing i noticed when we did the misfits and we did we've covered a lot of danzig so i think in 23 we'll probably avoid the dark elvis but um <laughs> we talked about danzig four we talked about the misfits he talked about sam hayne during our yep. ill-conceived halloween spooktacular of october um celebration of episodes no one listened to um that, maybe one but <laughs> it was a good idea um, though so we've covered glenn danzig quite a bit um and it's always fun because he's such a character it's any one of those episodes were fun to do because he is just such a character and a caricature uh he's such a cartoon that they're always fun to do and this one was no different yeah one of my in in the you know 50 whatever episodes that we've done so far i think one of my favorite things that we've done in this in since we've started this is decoding glenn danzig i think that's been one of my favorite things is decoding him um it, it's been super fun um and, and honestly one of the most enjoyable listening experiences i've had was listening to the to the ep yeah um, it, it was just I have, like I said in the episode, go listen. I had so I have when I listen to that, I have so much fun listening to it for the reasons that we break down in the episode. But yeah, yeah, decoding Glenn Danzig was was very fun to do. I enjoyed that. So instead of listening to the Love Gun episode one, <laughs> fast forward to episode 22. Again, this is not episodic television. This is rock and roll autopsy, not breaking bad. There's no reason to start at episode one. Um, go to episode 22. Start with Last Caress. Yeah, the 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 next episode is not contingent on, upon the one before it. So you can skip the first one. It's okay. All right. All right. Let's give out our last potty okay. of the evening. The potty for the best episode about appropriating disco to remain relevant goes to the envelope, please. Episode 19. Did the Rolling Stones miss you kill rock and roll? And I have to say I was a little selfish because I actually picked this song. I was a little selfish when I picked this song because I don't think I ever told you this, but my pro probably my first exposure to the Rolling Stones was this song. Um, a, a friend of the family um, was about my sister's age. And when we lived in Florida, when I was a kid and after my dad died, like he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and he would take me swimming um, occasionally. Um, and he had this eight track in his car and he would throw the eight track in. And I listened to this song a lot in the, you know, as a nine or 10 year old, eight or nine or 10 year old, this was my first exposure to Rolling Stones. I didn't know any of the other songs, like all of the other better ones. I just know, I just know this one. And so it kind of stuck with me. And so this album and this song is, I always really liked a lot um for whatever reason i don't even have a valid explanation but so i kind of had a little little underhanded selfishness when i picked this song because of that it's a great choice and <clears throat> i remember initially whenever you picked it i kind of thought to myself can we handle that you know when we had kind of 
you know, we're not metalheads in spite of the fact that the uh, the podcast kind of skews that direction a little bit, but we're really just rock music fans and rock music of all stripes, really a lot of different music across mm-hmm. multiple genres. But when you suggested that one, I thought, can we do that one? Because up to that point, we had kind of lived in this heavy metal, hard rock world. So I wasn't really sure how the stones would go over conversationally. Yeah. But I was really surprised. To me, it's one of our tightest episodes. It's an episode that if someone hadn't listened to the podcast before, I'd probably point them towards that one because I think the discussion around the song was good. I think the episode was tight. The segments are tight. The episode's only 20-some minutes long. So it's like if you wanted just a starter episode for this podcast that's, you know, little little or no harm, right? Just That would not uh, be episode one love gun it would no be, it would, it be would this not one. be it would be this one this is the one you get in you get out in like 20 some minutes yeah and you get a better experience than the 40 minutes we gave you in episode one <laughs> yeah um true and you know what a, cu- a couple other things that i really liked about doing this episode well first i got to do my best mick jagger imitation um which which i i liked that but uh-huh, um, right. More importantly, when we do these songs over the breadth of our, you know, catalog of episodes, generally from song to song or album to album, you know, generally, and maybe this isn't a good thing, but generally we agree on if a song is good or bad, you know, generally we like it or we don't like it, even though, uh, like we've talked about before the path, the musical paths that we travel down are uh, different. Um, we generally will agree on this song is good or not, but, but this song, I like it a lot and you don't really like it that much. And so I thought that was pretty cool because this is probably out of all of the ones that this is probably the only episode where we disagree on the song, which I kind of like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but to pull the curtain back, we don't have discussions about how we're going to rank these. We don't share our personal autopsy. Mm -mm ideas with one another prior to the episode we find out in real time and it's just kind of worked out that we're usually on the same page in terms of our musical taste but on this uh specific one we happen to um you know go in different directions and i'm i think that's fine i mean that's that's i you know i think in the future we'll find you know a little more disagreement here and there but it's also okay if you know if we land in the same spot you can still have a good you know discussion about the about the track you know yeah i agree i kind of i kind of would like it if we disagreed a little bit more because then it would it would incorporate some different perspectives on things. And maybe we start to fight a little bit, which wouldn't be too bad. It wouldn't be bad. It's just been happenstance. It may happen Uh, down the road a little bit. This isn't like you said, this isn't pre-planned. I have no idea what you're going to talk about. You have no idea what I'm going to talk about. And all of this agreement that we just somehow fall upon, it just kind of happens that way. You know, I was spending, speaking of the stones, I took the uh, Christmas decorations down today, which because my wife keeps buying every year more and more shit (laughs) for a job that used to take me 30 minutes now takes like four freaking hours to like, I got to pull everything out of the crawl space and disassemble the tree. And there's so much bullshit and everything's got to be packed a certain way. It's like Tetris putting it back, you know, to Mm -hmm. get it to fit. You're going to have to build another shed in your backyard to house all your extra decorations. Yep. And then I'm filthy when I'm, when we're done and 
to make a long story boring, I had all this time I'm going to be cleaning. So, you know, we're going to be talking about Limp Biscuit here shortly. And to give you an idea, you know, about where my musical tastes are while putting away the after a month of listening to fucking Christmas carols, I'm sick of them to wash the taste out of my mouth today, taking down the decorations. I listened to Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile in Main Street in their entirety. Attaboy. And and one of those is the double albums. I literally listened to five albums of the Rolling <laughs> Stones today while taking down Christmas decorations and listened to the entire Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, which is like two hours. That gives you an idea how long it took me to take down and package up all the fucking Christmas shit today. But that also gives you some insight into my musical taste. Is that left That's to my right. own devices? I was the only one home doing this task. I'm just putting the stones on, man. Hell yeah. And even bigger indication of how much money you guys have spent on Christmas decorations by how many albums you listened to while you were putting them away. Oh, right? it infuri- dude, it's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so there you have it. That is our first annual potty awards. Um, stick around for 12 more months and we'll have another one. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk Lip Biscuit. See you in a few minutes. We are gathered here to remember rock and roll. Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955, on this day, the birth of rock and roll, gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat and a pulsating rhythm, a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity, individualism, and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, like all earthly endeavors, rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll, with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of mad jack to witness their long past the sell-by date asses on stage, and with its chauvinism misogyny and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities and with its aging fist-shaking fan base kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn rock has indeed passed into the celestial void may rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. The Autopsy Report. All right, gang. Welcome back. We're doing Limp Biscuit. The song is rolling. Released September 5th. 2000 the album is chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water the genre new metal and rap the song's a very nice 
three minutes and 33 seconds. Label is Flip and Interscope. Songwriters, according to Wiki, William Durst, that would be Fred Durst, Wes Borland, John Otto, Sam Rivers, but the person they forgot is Swizz Beats, and we'll get to that. Uh, Producers Fred Durst and DJ Lethal. Just to set the table a little bit for this, there's kind of like in the flesh, sort of. Uh, there's two versions of the song originally written as just a straight up rap um, with, you know, backing, you know, rap hip hop style backing tracks. And Fred Durst and Swizz Beats came up with this and then he presented it to the rest of the band and the band thought it would sound a little bit better with regular like their style of new metal music behind it. So they did another version um, and they wound up putting both versions on the album if you didn't already know that. So there you go. All right, gang, it's rock and roll autopsy. And for the purposes of our discussion, we're going to be covering because we're rock and roll autopsy. That's right. The rock version, which is called Rollin' Air Raid Vehicle in parentheses. Correct. It's rock and roll autopsy game. It's Limp Biscuit. I think this is our first, unless you count System of a Down, this might be the first time we've dipped our toe in the new metal waters, is it? I think so. I think so. Yeah, maybe System of a Down if you put them in that category. But for all intents and purposes, I think this is the first one. Wow. And this is a doozy. All oh, right, boy. gang. It's Rock and Roll Autopsy. It's Limp Biscuit. It's Fred Durst, one of the most controversial mm-hmm. individuals in rock music in the last 30 years. True. Guys. Did this song kill rock and roll? We've got to find out. To do so, we've got five categories. They are gratuitous boomerism, excessive misogyny, wanton whiteness, malignant machismo, and culture vulturism. Rico, the track is rolling. The band, Limp Biscuit, New Metal. The category gratuitous boomerism. Sir, how do you score? And we're rolling now. Um, so first of all, I'm just going to get the score out of the way and then we'll maybe give a little rest. I'm going to give them a one on boomerism. And here's why, because where they're coming from is not, in my opinion, is not really relatable anymore, which is, I think in the spirit of boomerism, one of, one of the, angles of boomerism is i'm holding this this philosophy or this modus operandi that that i'm putting onto you that you can't relate to so their modus operandi if you will that they cling to so dearly during the course of their stay not really something that's relatable anymore um from so from that perspective maybe you completely disagree with me maybe i'm just fumbling through this but in my brain, it makes sense. So in my brain, I'm going to give them a 1.0 on this one, even though they're not even close to being boomers because and they're our age. What is it that is no longer relatable? The, the, the bling, the, 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 bling, the lifestyle, the, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the, when I, when I experienced Limp Biscuit back in, not mind you, I, at, at the time, I don't, I don't dislike them now, but at the time 
I I didn't mind Limp Bizkit. I they their stuff has a nice groove to it. I think the musical parts of it are really good, but there's really if you especially the lyrics to this song we'll get to. I feel like their material is just like if I could take you know what a hype man is, right? I Everybody do. knows what a hype man is, right? Yep. Like this band is a hype man. They're, they they just they they exist to promote and to create hype, but ultimately there's really no substance underneath, which is fine, because ultimately the goal is to entertain, and they sure the hell did that for a lot of people, right? So I guess it just depends on what you're looking for, and I feel like that style of hype man type of blinged out saggy jeans skater hip-hop culture isn't necessarily something that people that's culturally relevant now so that's why i don't know if i'm even explaining this but in my brain it makes total sense but that's why i'm kind of giving them one i think you've clarified it for me because to me when i looked at gratuitous boomerism i thought oh this is an easy zero i didn't see it that way um but i like the way you kind of elaborated on and even expanded the understanding of boomerism beyond just what year you were born. Um, you made it more like a state of mind. <laughs> yeah. And let me, you know, when, when, when uh, the collective think tank of uh, scientific analysts that came up with the scientific method, um, I, I'll read what we have here. Music that appeals only to that generation or embodies a perspective that only that generation holds. So that I, to me, Limp Biscuit falls right into that, hmm. in my opinion, anyways. But Interesting. Well, we may have a good discussion around this then. Uh, I'm going to score gratuitous boomerism a zero. All right. Let's move on to category two, excessive misogyny. And if you need the lyrics, Rico, um, I have them up. Let me know. Please hit me. This is a lyric sheet that I'm uncertain where to start. I don't know how much <laughs> of it is just like hype intro stuff and where a verse kicks in. It's difficult yeah. to kind of suss out one from the other. So I'm just going right. to take it from the top. Just let her rip, man. And I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to wrap it, okay? <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, partner. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is, ladies and gentlemen. Throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. Throw your, throw, throw your, throw your, your, your hands, your, your hands up. Throw your hands up. Chocolate <laughs> starfish. Want to keep on rolling, baby. Your hands up. Throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. I move in. Now move out. Hands up. Now hands down. A lot of hands going on in this song. Yeah. Back up. Back up. Tell me what you're going to do now. Breathe in. Now breathe out. Hands up. Now hands down. Back up. Back up. Tell me what you're going to do. Is this the electric slide or is this rolling <laughs> by Limpiski? This is a line dance called the rolling. Keep rolling, 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 <laughs> rolling. What? Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Come on. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Yeah. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. I'll just, I'll, I'll yeah, just, I think. Can you suffer gotta, through one more verse? Yeah. Um, if you want to lay another one out, but I think I'm good. Um, I, I won't do the whole chorus thing, but I just want to get through one more lyric for E section. Do it. Sounds good. 
Now I know y'all be loving this shit right here. Limp Biscuit is right here, but it's got little dots, so I'm thinking it's L I M P. L I M P. Yeah, I think he right spells L I M P. Biscuit is right here. Right. So is Limp an acronym in there? <laughs> no, I think he's just spelling it because that's part of the coolness of the line is that you know L I M P. Biscuit is right here. You know. Thank you. I'm going to try to get through this now. Now I know y'all be <laughs> loving this shit right here. L-I-M-P Bizgit right here. People in the house, put them hands in the air. Because if you don't care, then we don't care. Yeah. One, two, three times, two to the six. Jonesin, your fix of that limp Bizgit mix. So where the fuck yeah, punk? Shut the fuck up and back the fuck up while we fuck this track up. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. There's clearly uh, no misogyny in this um, at all. It gets a big giant zero for me. What's interesting, Rico, is I went through the trouble of reading the lyrics to the urban, what is it? The urban assault vehicle version. Yeah. And they mentioned like sluts and like banging in bathrooms and stuff. So that version has like a different set of lyrics, I think. Whereas this one is just more kind of this all hype shit, you know, I wonder what, and that's, that's maybe we'll, we'll never find the answer out, but what do you think caused them to change up the lyrics and, and not put that stuff in there? You think it was the label? Do you think it was their choice? Do you have an opinion on that at all? I think it's that cool 333 you talked about. You wanted to get on the radio back then. Terrestrial radio still had not. It was still hanging on in 2000, right? So yep, for sure. I think if you can keep the bitches, hoes, and sluts at bay, you may have a shot, you know? So maybe that was part. Plus, they, I think they were aiming for rock radio, right? If it's a hip-hop track, it's going to get played on, you know, those stations, and they were probably aiming for rock radio. This track, I mean, it did really well. I mean, I'm oh, looking huge. at the, the chart positions here is number one in Ireland, number one in Scotland, number one in the UK, number one on the UK singles, UK rock and metal, peaked at number four in the US on alternative airplay. So, I mean, this track was, uh, this is a platinum record. I mean, it's um, it's got some it's serious a, certifications behind it. It's uh, this, uh, this song is, uh, it, yeah, no, no misogyny in this one. And clearly... You know, when they were looking at getting a radio friendly version, there probably was isn't wasn't going to be a very realistic way to clean up the original set of lyrics. So they just redid them and just made it a big giant hype song, which actually worked out for them because it's super user friendly. You don't have to really put a whole lot of thought into it. You could bop your head to it and it and wound up actually working out for them minimal brain power necessary yeah. just looking very quickly i mean this mm. is a record i said it went platinum it didn't just go platinum it went six times platinum in the yeah. u.s yeah. went three times platinum in the uk um so this thing was a huge success for a limp biscuit um absolutely i'm gonna score for excessive misogyny a zero as well because we are talking about the air, the air raid, raid vehicle yeah. version that's right um Category three, wanton whiteness. Really curious to hear where you go with this one, sir. What have you got cooking there? So it, well, I guess, depends on the angle that you're shooting for here. Um, doesn't it seem very white 
of Fred Durst, who grew up in North Carolina, um, to appropriate the black culture and make it his own and wind up capitalizing on it. Isn't that a very white thing to do? I mean, in his defense, he wasn't the first guy to go through that door, you know? True. Uh, Theoretically, Eminem had already um, gone down a similar path. However, they're they're theoretically elvis had gone down a suit so i mean you could really take it back to the birth of rock and roll right i mean if you really wanted to be stupid about it but why that's a really um, great point because in a lot of ways fred durst is just continuing a time-honored tradition of (laughs) appropriating you know african-american music uh and and getting rich off of it well let me let me ask you this how many we know the broad strokes of how many white dudes have done this. Okay. Elvis, Eminem, Fred Durst. I mean, there's more that we're not obviously saying right here, but how many times has the reverse happened and how many times have black people appropriated something white and pulled it off? Like white people appropriate black things and pull it off. Like those guys did. How many times has that happened? Uh, Hootie and the blowfish. Man, all right. I didn't think of that. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, oh, yeah, just, that's a, it's a good point, man. And then, and then, and then, Darius Rucker went on to be a country star too. So, I mean, touche on that one, I suppose. Um, I was gonna give it a one, but just because Elvis did the same thing doesn't mean it's not very white bread of him to do that. I suppose. On the other hand, man, this is a good discussion because. I don't know, man. I mean, were they, is it a white thing to do or was the culture just expanding appropriately out of one culture into many cultures? Maybe well, that's I, what, you know what I'm saying? Like that's I'm actually to be a ob- terrific point because if trying you to think be objective of, about this, if you think of the evolution of rock and roll Rico, um, you had these two super popular parallel genres, one rock, which primarily lived in white culture at the time. And yeah. one, rap which primarily lived in black culture but they were Uh kind of coexisting at the time and both super popular and we had seen them kind of interweave at times with run dmc with anthrax public enemy beastie boys beastie boys and there was that huge judgment night soundtrack where they were all merged acts we had seen i don't know if rage against the machine was out at this point but the point being is that the evolution of rock and roll was on a collision course with rap music at some point the peanut butter and the chocolate were going to you know create the Reese cup at some point and so you know we saw this kind of thing with um all of these bands in this era were incorporating this we saw lincoln park we saw limp biscuit we saw 311 um, all of these bands were kind of a rage. I mean, there was a lot of bands kind of mixing genres, mixing sounds, and it was coming out of the nineties, the super creative time where there's a lot of experimenting and art rock happening. And now we're at the dawn of a new decade. And so it kind of made sense. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bag on Fred Durst for being a fan of rap. And the thing that I want to bring up though, and maybe just food for thought before you issue your score as I you shared with you, you I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I shared with you that parody video from Mad TV of Posen, which yeah. was a parody of Roland. 
And it was all about playing off the idea of white guys appropriating black culture. And the whole sketch was kind of a joke about that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so there's that angle too. And I think that I, I read some things where Fred Durst was saying, you know, no one saw the humor in this, that everybody thought we were this. And so we gave them this song and this video as a way of saying, you know, oh yeah, we are this, you know, we are these guys who are, uh, you know, in the, you know, we're all about cars and women and bling and, you know, extravagance and the hip hop lifestyle. And they were, they were doing it sarcastically and that they say, nobody saw that, you know, to them, it was hilarious. Like, I guess the guitarist West, West Borland had, you know, the teeth in and the whole thing. So, I mean, I guess they were doing it to be funny and poke fun at themselves and what people perceive them as. I mean, I suppose, how can you, if it's coming from him, I mean, I guess, how could you tell, how could you, how could you disagree with that if he's the one that said it? And I guess you got to take him for his word, right? So, I mean, you've changed my mind. I mean, I, I had an angle on this, but, but let me read a quote I, from Fred. I didn't Durst. look at it. I didn't look at it from that perspective. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like you had a green crayon and a blue crayon and you put it together and, or a blue and a yellow crayon. And now you've got a green crayon and that's great because you mix two colors together and make a new color, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Actually. Let me read a quote from Fred Durst about the song in the video about okay. the music video. Durst said, it felt like we just started to poke fun at what people thought we were and embrace that. That's why we made the Roland video. There were red caps everywhere. And look at Wes at the beginning of the video with his grills in. How the hell did people not realize we weren't being serious? We thought it was hilarious. And that so they were almost like ironically embracing the hip hop culture thing. You know, yeah. I think is what I'm reading into that quote. And maybe I'm off base. But like like a, a like a satire on themselves, I suppose, right? Yes. But I don't know, man. I, there, when you look back at, I didn't, I, I didn't watch the documentary, but I read about it, the the Woodstock '99 documentary, and all of the 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 controversy surrounding them with regard to that, where they really were encouraging a lot of violent behavior, uh, and caught a lot of flack for it, actually. So, I mean, and even if you go back to if you it may, maybe you saw this, or maybe you didn't about how they even came up with the band's name, Limp Biscuit. You know, he's quoted several times as saying, "We we created the name of the band just to repel people." So, I I don't know, like what he's saying. I mean, it makes sense, but there's been other things that they've done that makes me think a different way than that. So, it's hard to, for me, anyways, it's hard to. Man, I didn't think that this discussion was going to go down this road. I thought that <laughs> I thought that I, I didn't think it was going to get serious like this, but that's okay. Um, it's if for, for me, it's hard to. I mean, I I, ha, I can't t I can't say that he's full of shit um, when when he says that, and it makes sense. But on the other hand, there's this other stuff like he called him like chocolate starfish, like he referred to himself as uh, that on purpose because everybody 
kept kept referring to him as an asshole. So he, so he came up with chocolate starfish to right. to own the fact that he was an asshole, right? right? So how could you say I'm creating satire on our ourselves, and yet you're a you're acting like a punk asshole that incites riots at at the Woodstock '99 concert? So yeah. there's some contradicting things there, but they both make sense. And so I for me. I guess I just have a little trouble wrapping my mind around him for some reason. So what is it? Wanted whiteness. Where are you at, man? I'm gonna, After this I'm gonna, long you, conversation. From your perspective, it changed my mind. I'm going to give it a zero simply because of the style of music where you're taking chocolate and peanut butter and putting them together and making a Reese's cup. And that is a good thing. They evolved they evolved music by doing this, like bands like them and 311, Faith No More, Rage, all of those bands that combined rap and rock, they created something new, and that's always a good thing. So I'm going to give them a zero for this. Um, well, you're going to be angry at me because I gave you all that shit to think about, and I'm going to give it a one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fine. <laughs> that's cool, man. I, I, I like that. Um. I got wiki up ahead of me and let me just read it. You said this is getting a little serious, but let me make it even more grim just because it's an, <laughs> this is an interesting kind of tidbit about the song. So yeah. a little factoid for the listeners, the Roland video received the award for best rock video at the 2001 MTV video music awards on September 10th, 2001. Limp Biscuit received a letter and a fruit basket from the Port Authority of New York City thanking them for featuring the Twin Towers in the video and congratulating the band after the video had won the VMA for Video of the Year at the VMAs on September 6th. On September 10th, 2001, are you putting the dots together? They received a fruit basket and a letter from the Port Authority of New York City thanking them for putting the Twin Towers in the video. Holy Christ. And the very next day, we all know what the happens. towers are destroyed. Isn't that insane? That's insane, man. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't read that part, but that is freaking crazy. All right. So let's move on. Category four, malignant machismo. Rico, how do you score? And you may have touched on it with your discussion about Woodstock. Yeah, there the, these Durst has always been a super machismo guy. Um uh th this is getting a serious one. I, I, this is an obvious one in my opinion. There's I, I I couldn't even begin to justify a zero on this. Yeah, I'm giving it a one as well. I mean, the one thing that like you know, we talked, I think, in the last, was it the last episode or the episode before we talked about Def Leppard? And we talked about the idea of if you're going to be popular and like popular on that level, 20 million records sold, you're going to have to have women on board. And I think women yeah. were on board in the 80s with bands like Def Leppard and rock. And they were on board in the 90s in a big way with a lot of those 90s bands. For sure. And so I think you really had women on board. And I do have a theory, just a personal theory, no facts to back it up, that women started to be chased away from rock music with Limp Biscuit, I think. And that in the new metal movement where it became angry white guy music, you know, and to your point, exemplified in that Woodstock movie, right? And 
it just became the backwards baseball cap. I wear my baseball cap backwards sometimes. Me too. But um, it became the angry backward baseball cap white guy music. And I think that kind of started to chase away a lot of the uh, female fans. Ladies, if I'm wrong or you see it differently, reach out and tell me. But that's just a working theory I have. Um, yeah, I would score this a big time one. I mean, they are that stereotypical band. Think of the faith cover i mean a great great track by um um spacing on his name right now from wham the, george michael yeah great track i mean an amazing song an amazing video and i'm not saying limp biscuit should have attempted to capture that but the direction they took the song some people may like it you like it whatever but what did they do with it they just made the angriest version of faith imaginable right and so it's just like the angry white guy stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that which really your... hasn't aged well, by the way. If you no, look at I... it now with, you know, we're so many years later and you look back and it's like, what are you white guys? What are you white men so angry about? Right. I've been, it's so crazy that you, you've gone down this road about anger taking females out of rock because I have been trying to, in my brain, especially this song has kind of rekindled this. I've, I've been trying to decode in my brain what changed from the 80s to now with regard to rock. Like, how did, and I know we talk about rock being dead and what contributed to it and is it cultural relevance and old white guys and all that kind of jazz. But the, the thing that, that, that this song, to go right with what you were saying, think about, and you, you'll know exactly where I'm going with this, and it's what you said. In the 80s, rock, the the only rock that was angry in the 80s was Slayer Metallica. No women at those shows back then. That's it. Yep. Everything else, think, think of all the other versions of rock in the 80s were not negative at all. There was some type of either neutral vibe or positive vibe, whether it's partying or getting laid or whatever something not negative let's not say positive or neutral but you've got slayer and metallica who are just negative and the and then you've got everybody else that's not negative then yeah, the and 90s and then the 90s get here and what's the 90s self-loathing brooding seattle style grunge and then who takes over the the metal mantle in the 90s pantera angriest band you, ever the angriest band ever so yep. the 90s is where shit started getting negative and when shit's negative it's not fun to listen to anymore and when it's negative females aren't going to want to listen to it and that's what killed it is things got angry starting in the 90s when the seattle sound hit and when pantera took over then everything was angry now you're hitting the end of the 90s and here's limp biscuit where you there now you've got this rap rock combination, which is a new they've taken rock and they've done something new with it, which is great. And that's why I like 311 so much. Because if you if if you had a yin yang, like the black the, the whatever the bad part of the yin yang would be limp biscuit, and the complete opposite would be 311. 311 is rap rock, but 
fun and positive. And they, they talk about getting high all the time and sitting on the beach and just being with friends. Yeah. And that's, and so they're the complete antithesis of Limp Biscuit. And so now you Limp Biscuit though, took over rap rock in the late nineties, more than Lincoln park, more than any of them, they were on top. And I think maybe a part of that was just how they were able to promote themselves with the free impromptu shows that they did by being very much supporters of like um, LimeWire and Napster. Did you know that Fred Durst was a really big proponent of LimeWire and Napster? And I think that helped their cause. And so they took over rap rock and, and they just angry fight it. It was like you said, it was angry white dudes that took over something um, and made it angry and killed it. You didn't see any rap rock after Limp Bizkit because they destroyed the genre by making it angry and negative and took yeah. the female audience out of it. Just what exactly what you said. Women, though, were really on board in the 90s. I mean, it wasn't just but they weren't they were the stars. I mean, you had the Lilith fair, you had Liz fair, you had Lisa Loeb, you had the breeders, you had four non blondes, you had uh Fiona Apple, Joan Osborne. I mean, you had a ton of female rock artists and bands that were having massive success L seven. I mean, so they didn't, they weren't even just fans anymore. They were stars in the nineties. So the nineties to me, I just think I do have a just a working theory, and you've you've kind of laid it out nicely that as as rock got angry, women found other things to listen to, and that's right. Before Metallica sold out and got that massive audience, and the you know they there were only dudes at those shows in the eighties, you know, just guys. And same thing with obviously Slayer. Let's move mm-hmm. on to our final. I'm scoring it by the way, Malignant Machismo, a one as well. Yeah. Let's move on to our final category okay. and wrap up this rock and roll autopsy on Limp Biscuits rolling. We're in new metal, gang. Welcome aboard. Culture vulturism. Rico, how do you score? Yeah, I think we've touched on this. Um I think if you look at it from a certain perspective, you could say they vultured rap and, and, and maybe, but, but I, after, after talking about this and kind of working through this with you and going down the rabbit holes that we went down and, and there's honestly, as a little sidebar, there's a couple of these rabbit holes that we went down that, that I, maybe we should talk about later, like, like uh, the female movement of the nineties, or maybe a further discussion on, anger and rock but we went down a couple rabbit holes here but working through this my initial reaction would have been to give that to and be inclined to give them a one because um of my how i thought before we talked about this but they they again they they this is this is new metal this is rap and rock combined they did something with it that that few bands did and that and they made something new and different out of it um from a certain perspective so i'm not going to give them a one on it i'm going to give them i can't oh man i think I'm, I'm i think i'm going to compromise on myself and give them a 0. 0.5 that's a good that's a good pull in my opinion yeah. i'm going to give them a full one i mean i'm yeah. going to be honest with you i'll just quickly before we wrap because we've gone long here but yeah. i don't like this song I don't like this band. 
I don't like any of this music. Um, I it was hard. It was a hard three thirty three for me to listen <laughs> to this song and watch this video and do it a couple times this week. But I did it in the interest of you know trying to bring something to the discussion here. When I see this video and hear this song, I just see white guys doing rap with heavy guitars, you know? So, I mean, to me, it's not like I understand moving genres forward and we kind of had to have this, but man, I just don't like it. I can't relate to it. I know it's a generational thing. I'm old and, you know, and I, I wasn't necessarily old when this came out, but, um, you know, I was still uh, in my twenties, but I, even then I couldn't relate to it. I had a hard time relating to rap music. I mean, I'm just a a Midwest white kid, you know what I mean? So I had a hard time relating to the chronic and other things. I mean, I liked the music, but I couldn't, I never could relate to it, which doesn't make sense to me. Cause like, how could I relate to Slayer? You know what I mean? It's just stupid, but, but I could, you know, but I had a hard time with rap and maybe that's just me being, you know, culturally stupid or uninformed. I don't know, but I just always struggled with it. So, um, so when I see this, I just see Fred Durst, like just being a, you know, just doing rap and it just looks ridiculous to me. So, and that's the way that I feel now when I went back to it, because I thought when I went, when I went back to, to their stuff, I thought now back when it was popular, I didn't go out of my way to listen to it. But when I heard it, I I liked it, but never enough to buy it. But going back, I thought that I would have that same feeling. But watching watching the video and listening to the song, it just felt stupid and empty. You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. And I think you made a good point of is it okay for things to just be entertainment? And it's like. I'm not a hip hop fan, but I really like public enemy because I think it's like Bob Dylan. I mean, the guy's got something to say. And when I hear the lyrics, there's like meat on the bone. And when I listen to rage against the machine, I fucking love rage against the machine. Rage against the machine is more often hip hop than it is rock, but there's meat on the bone. Lyrically, there is nothing to this song. There's nothing. I mean, there's about, nothing there no there's it's there's nothing to it it's just a bunch of hype shit like that's what when i refer to them as the embody they, they if you took a hype man and made them into a band it would be limp biscuit now if you want to compare another white guy who does rap one of my I, eminem is a freaking genius because right. he is a genius and he has things to say and he grew up in a certain lifestyle that has provided him with a shitload of material. And he does it in a genius way. He took rap and flipped it on its ear forever. And he is very highly respected by everyone in the rap community because he is a genius. Now, Fred Durst is nowhere near that it's empty. It he's it's empty. It's to use a good friend of mine's words. It's vapid. Yeah, it's 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 thin. It's nothing. It's like home sweet home from Motley Crue. There's nothing to it. And so that's what I thought going back and listening to it. Now, I felt, man, this is just nothing but an empty. It's their whole catalog, aside from the two cover tracks they did, was just nothing but a bunch of empty hype. See, and and I I thought something a little more cerebral than that now. 
Yeah, and I thought, you know, I, I didn't like it then, and I thought, well, I'll revisit this for the podcast. I thought maybe I'll like it now, and as it turns out, still don't like it. And I, <laughs> so it is what it is. Let's wrap this yep. up. We're running Let's out of time. It. Got it. All right, Rico. Rock and Roll Autopsy. We've we've had a long discussion about this song. I'm shocked. Um, what I am score too. do you have, sir? I've got 2.5. 2.5, and I have three so that is that is five and a half points so it's just a big nothing it's just null it's a it's empty again it provided nothing it's just (laughs) empty so once again the science works because the score demonstrates exactly where we are with this band it's just nothing All right, gang, it's been Rock and Roll Autopsy. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Let me have that special rock and roll music. Yeah! Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. To the dawn, loving till the morning. I'm gone. I'm gone. Well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs>